Hello, my name is Robert Sram, your host today on Future Now Radio. And our special guests are Viktor Vorsky from Europe and Karsten Christiani from Germany. At Future Now Radio, we invite active visionaries that are in the process of creating a collaborative world radio platform to explore concepts and understandings around new systems of sustainability and post-scarcity. Future Now Radio is a free station bypassing the mainstream media by offering programs and inspiring original and regenerating perspectives to address world problems and offer positive grassroots and meta-level solutions. Let's start with uh, sharing something about Victor first. Victor is an Imagineer, a creative strategist, a village 3.0 or zero catalyst and village builder. And he's the co-founder of Rebuild. And that's a global event for regenerative village builders. And he's the founder of Earth Sky Lab, a village building consultancy, creating concepts and bringing villages or village visions to life. About Karsten, Karsten has been working at the crossroads of serial entrepreneurship and human development for almost two decades, coming from the realization that we already have the technology and wisdom we need to create an elegant earth, a world where we live beautifully while creating in harmony with all life on this planet. He's busy building systems that make that real in the world. Welcome, guys. Hi, Robert. Hello, thank you for having us. Yeah, great that you uh, are able to be here because I know you're both very uh, busy. So, and I think we're going to have a very interesting episode ready for our listeners. Victor, to start the conversation, I read something about you and I want to share it with our audience because someone uh, reviewed you and someone was saying about you I was lucky to work with Victor for seven and a half years under his leadership I participated in the creation of more than five complex high load systems he is a strong leader who can rapidly organize distributed development team processes for startups and legacy projects I do not cease to be surprised by his creativity ability to approach difficult problems from an unexpected angle. Having said that, Victor, do you want to share a little bit how you feel about that and also tell us a little bit more about your mission related to that? So, I mean, that, that's around my work managing and leading software development. Of course, that sounds like, it sounds a beautiful testimonial I would say that maybe the even more than the contents of it, what I am proud of is that that was actually written by one of the guys that was quitting our team. He decided that for personal reasons, after working, I guess, seven and a half years, he wanted to move on. And for a software developer, seven and a half years is a long time. So even though he was quitting, this was his goodbye. I think that's what I'm very happy with. And yeah, I also wanted to mention that I have certain words in the world which I'm trying to fight against. And I know it's impossible to fight language, but sometimes you have to try. I really don't like the word busy. I think really overwhelmed with doing lots of things that I love. And that makes it hard to find time sometimes, but it, it's not busy. It's, it, 
it's doing what what I love. So you asked about you know my mission. I think in the context of today's conversation, my mission is to try and bring village building into the mainstream. So this idea of people coming together and building a elegant village in in nature has existed in different forms, actually going back over two thousand years, if you look at history. But it's kind of been a edge thing for pioneers and people that were really willing to abandon important parts of civilization or modern life to be able to live in the countryside. Now I think with remote work, there's an opportunity for many, many more people to be able to have this life while still keeping their livelihoods. And I would really like to contribute to making this village building into a recognized movement business and, and path for real estate development. The same way that we have seen co-living taken by a few dedicated thought leaders from something edge and weird and nobody's heard of into, well, this is a kind of business, this is investors focused on it. You know, the kind of mainstreaming of the idea in order that it will be accessible to many more people in order that many more investors will be willing to invest in it. And so we can build many more. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Carson, uh, I would love to ask you the same question, but uh, I understand you don't really use testimonials. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's, it's a thing that, well, it developed from two roots and has turned into a thing with the core idea at, at Elegant Herb. So let me walk backwards. What Elegant Herb is about at the core is um, creating systems that help people make the shift from being fear-driven to trust-driven. And um, as far as I'm concerned, if we can do that, if we can make that shift and use technology from that deeper place of, of wisdom, that should solve pretty much all of the problems we're creating in the world. So um, originally I, I came from quite a fear-driven place and uh, I was in advertising for years. I taught advertising psychology. I uh, studied manipulation and negotiation tactics and all this kind of stuff. One of my first mentors, coaches, he, uh, he was a master at this stuff. And so I learned very clearly and precisely how easy it is to manipulate us with fear. And fundamentally, part of the way that testimonials function in general is they're fear-driven. Like uh, they mean, I don't quite trust my own inner knowing. I don't trust what I see about the other person. I want somebody else's endorsement. And um, so, well, two things. One thing is I believe whenever we want to see something in the world, the only way to really do this is to live it ourselves. So, you know, who would I be if I, if I played that game still these days? And um, yeah, the other thing is it's, it's also a bit of a fun game because I never got a job in my life that I applied for. I don't think I really applied for any. It was just meeting people and things clicking and knowing, okay, we have to do this together. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's also always a bit of a game to see how much you can get away with. Yeah, no, that, I totally get that. But I think I'm going to tease you a little bit and ask Victor to, to tell something about you if he wants to, because you guys have been working together intensively, I know, for quite some time. Intensively yeah. for, uh, I mean, what can I say? Karsten is great. He is very positive all the time, 
even when he's <laughs> even when he's tired, worn out, and at the end of his string, Karsten is more positive and buoyant and happy than most people I know. Well, that sounds very positive, Karsten. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I say yeah. this, I emphasize this, I guess, because you know, having gotten to a certain age, I have and maybe, I don't know whether this is normal or not, but the older I get, the more important it becomes to me, the relationship and the character and the personality of the people that I work with. So, you know, I mean, it's not that I'll do anything, but if it's basically value aligned with what I'm doing and seems kind of interesting and the people are great and there's some money from it, I'll almost do anything, you know, I mean, if Karsten said, we're starting a coffee shop in Hamburg, well, I don't know if I could do it, but I'd be like, Karsten, hey, let's do it. Clearly, it's Karsten, so there must be a good reason for starting a coffee shop. And why not? Let's go on the journey. Oh, that's amazing. That's really trust. Yeah. Any reflections, Karsten? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's a very beautiful example of, of what is at the heart of this conversation. And, um, I mean, let, let me get back to the busyness. It's it's funny because I think I thought about that just yesterday, how, how one of my teachers said, hey, I talked to this friend of mine and and um, he was, you know, going from one book to, to the other. And so, so he asked him, so are you busy? And his friend was like, no, I'm, I got a lot on, but I'm not busy. You know, and it clicked kind of for the first time that busy is a thing that only exists in my head and not in the real world. And so, you know, for things like that, that Victor would bring that up on, on the next day. And um, it's, I honestly, I haven't questioned how we work, that we work. It's, it's just something that I know on a deep level. And I've learned to trust that. And um, it seems to be working out quite well. So um, I'm, I'm really, really happy that we came across one another at Rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do acknowledge that and thanks for sharing that you know you, you meet people in life and doing all kinds of projects and with some of them there is this yes there is something more special something seems to flow more and uh, you don't have to explain it i think it's just something that happens the synergistic co-creation field so yeah thanks for that victor i want to ask you about one of your projects because we shortly mentioned rebuild, right? And uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But your your project is Skylab. Can you share a bit more what that's about? Sure. So, you know, if we look at the trajectory of a business becoming professional and developing, there is more and different kinds of service companies that develop to provide services in different parts of the process. You know, at the, the, the simple analogy on in a gold rush, you can either go out into the fields and dig for gold or you can sell shovels and maybe mining, mining concessions. So I see our Skylab as kind of being there, providing the services from developing concept at the start so, you know, I think there will be more and more people, let's say, coming from the mainstream, either mainstream real estate development world or different people that are investors that would like to get into village building. So helping those kinds of people develop a concept, which is not just boxes, 
but it's homes and neighborhoods that's regenerative, that has community building and community at its heart. And yeah, I mean, I, I also envision Earth Skylab as being, you know, this future of work, the way we work now, a kind of organization, which means it's not like some number of people salaried on staff working together, but it's a community of people that share values that can come together and form teams around projects. I'm inspired a bit by the Hollywood model. I don't know if you ever heard about it. It's the, the kind of the way Hollywood makes movies, right? Each movie has for some number of months, sometimes even years, a dedicated, highly professional team that comes together around that movie, but then is disbanded in most cases, or it might be different companies, the company stays together, but as a whole, it disbands when the movie is made. And I think that model is interesting for village building because for village building, we need a group of highly professional people to come together to co-create something. Yeah. I like the comparison with the Hollywood model. So you really bundle this energy for a short period. And then afterwards, hopefully you have some time to rest for the next thing. So yeah. cool. Great. Great. Karsten, you're working on uh, another project or your project. It's called Elegant Earth. Now, that's a very elegant name, of course, but what does this project entails? Tell us a bit more. Well, let, let me tell you the, the foundational bit that I think is important around that. So in my own development, back when I was looking for purpose, um, I kind of came to the point that I realized that there doesn't seem to be a given purpose in life or the universe. You know, it's, it's something that we choose for ourselves. And, um, you know, making money wasn't it. Being happy didn't really seem to do it. And I finally kind of sort of ended up with beauty, um, which sounds really fancy, but it wasn't like what I noticed was that even when things look really dark and gloomy, like there was a certain sense of beauty to be found and there a certain sense of growth. And then I came across a quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, which said that three things are required for beauty, wholeness, harmony, and radiance. And without diving into that too much, it turned out that these three principles of Beauty are really, really practical guidelines. If it is a question of, should I move into this direction? Should I engage with that project, with that person? If you look at these three things, does it have integrity? Is it whole in and of itself? Is he or she balanced in harmony with themselves? And is there radiance? Is there simplicity, a spark of aliveness? Then that is a surprisingly pragmatic guideline. And um, so that kind of evolved at the back of my mind over the years. And, and of course, the question of how to bring human development, how to bring that shift from fear to trust into the world was always at the back of my mind for, for a long, long, long time. And I think it first kind of clicked when I understood about system theory and how a system changes completely once you change the purpose, once you give it a different goal. And um, of course, the idea of giving a system the purpose of beauty sounds really fancy. But again, if you take these three things and then uh, make them practical, they turn out to be good guidelines. Now, 
I've been looking for ways to to accelerate this human development thing at scale. You know, it's it's one thing to work with people one on one or work with them in corporate development or whatever, but the question was how can we really bring it into the world? And so I ended up with building villages, and uh, the idea of building a system where we can, where we can use all the technology we have that you know would make a beautiful and elegant life possible but where we could also design everything to make it easier to develop to shift to the natural health that we have within us and um well as i was looking for names for that you know regenerative villages whatever all this kind of stuff didn't quite seem to cut it because it was about more than that and uh, beautiful villages would have seemed quite silly and I don't know, at one point, elegant villages popped up. And actually, Elegant Earth came about because I looked for domains and saw that there was one called Elegant Earth. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be really cool. And we can have, you know, a bigger umbrella brand and, and an operating system and a philosophy. And anyway, so that's how that came about. Other than the villages and the white paper, the third project that Victor and I are also creating together is... Elegant Voyages, which is an accelerator framework for, well, helping us collaborate on things like building villages and making sure that we develop. Because, um, I mean, anybody who's ever started a company knows that if we learn to come from that simple trusting place, you know, if we learn to just keep acting and acting on what we know and not act when we're fear-driven and doubtful and frantic, then, um, you know, the chances that your startup is going to succeed are already much, much higher. If we learn to become discouragement-proof and just to keep going, keep trying, keep doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing until something works, then uh, most likely we're going to be golden. And so the accelerator and the villages just, they, they are two sides of the same coin because... Um, for building these kinds of things in the world we're living in, you know, it would be really nice if it was easier for people to learn to come from that place and to have people around them that help them do that. Yeah, love it. Yeah, basically you're saying, well, we already have all this technology, right? And wisdom. We already have the tools. So let's do it in an elegant way. It's just not point. quite scaling. <laughs> we're not scaling and implementing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but with, uh, and maybe that can bring us to our next topic. You know, manifesting projects is very important, right? People usually like to see stuff happen and come to uh, fruition. So let's talk a, a bit about some aspects you guys mentioned on your mission at Rebuild. Because there, there was uh, an event, uh, you have to remind me, I think it's already three months ago by now. Why, why Rebuild? Why now? Yeah end of last weekend of april okay so and then there uh, after that event it, that was a great event by the way and i would love to hear more about it and then the follow-up that's happening right now right developing village 3.0 so i would say there is multiple follow-ups the, the village 3.0 is a project i'm leading there's people working on village in a box and all kinds of different things came out of rebuild and in fact that was our aspiration for the event is that people connect and that collaborations evolve of course online events are very much 
in an involve, evolving mode, I would say now. I think we did a quite good job with the event in making it participative and getting people to engage and connect and talk with many people. There is still many more things that we have that we would like to try and, and for next year. But yes, a good number of collaborations came out of Rebuild. The Village 3.0 white paper being one of them. There is also an ongoing project. There is going to be a Rebuild physical gathering in Portugal, 1st to 5th of September. So there was a, a good number of projects that came out of the conference and that was our hope. So yeah, very happy with how it went. Of course, huge room for improvement, but also there always is, but many people were very happy with it. So we're also very happy. Okay, Carson, do you feel like sharing something in addition? Rebuild was, um, was a bit like rocket fuel to me. Um, you have to know that I kind of came up with that village idea completely in isolation. You know, I was working in a, in a different unrelated world but I figured, hey, you know, we can bring all this stuff together in, in villages and I also kind of want to live that way. And that would be really cool. And I didn't know that it was a thing. I really didn't know. You know, I went public, announced it at a different Congress. And um, through that Congress, I somehow saw that one of the guys was also going to speak at Rebuild. And I figured, oh, villages, <laughs> maybe I should go there. And um, so the beauty of Rebuild was to see how many people have had, I would almost say the exact same vision, you know, how do we integrate all the cool stuff and bring it into the world and make it real. And um, it was a relief to see how much of the work has already been done. And I think it's been a huge step forward to make this whole space real in the sense that it can now become something that will be available to, to the broader public, hopefully. Yeah. Am I correct if, if I state like the event was, you know, really an opportunity to bring all these stakeholders together, like community leaders and landowners and permaculture and ecology experts? So and, yeah, that was the aspiration. Let's be honest. It was mostly who attended were mostly people in the village building space. So people working on projects or who'd like to work in projects and around. We did not have enough of a representation of landowners, municipalities or investors. I'm talking with a number of people around doing this kind of more of a professional event, whether it's under Rebuild or partnership with Rebuild, I think that's needed. But for what it was, which means a gathering of change makers, lots of minds, lots of people were inspired Certainly a few minds were blown. Sounds like Karsten's was, so that's great. And a good number of people made connections, some collaborations emerging, which I think for a first year, first time, first year event is good. I mean, we had over a hundred partners at 600 participants, 40 volunteers, 120 different workshops and sessions. So it was very much a community effort. This was also our kind of goal. I guess I tried to do another event with a different group and it didn't go, the vision wasn't as accepted. And then I realized that in the rebuild organizing group, all of us had been to Burning Man. And that really affected us in seeing what, a, 
one way of organizing a large event is, which is not to plan every single stage, not to organize everything, but create the framework, invite people you like to come and play. And that's how we did Rebuild. You know, we, we said, well, nobody knows us, nobody's heard of Rebuild, but over the years we've developed quite a few friends that are developing projects that are better known. And let's just invite everybody to come and play, to come and share. And we just kind of provided sandbox. And what happens is an emergent, and that's what happens at Burning Man, right? Burning Man organizes very few things of what happens there. But if you haven't seen that once in practice, seeing how a massive city can appear out of a good invitation and some diligent road planning activity, it can be challenging for people to, it's like, oh, we just invite a bunch of people and just like trust that things will work out. But because of all of us have the Burning Man uh, background, that's how we did it. And I'm super happy in how it turned out. And that's why I say, you know, like we didn't do event. I mean, we, the community did the event because I really think everybody of those 600 people that were there participated in one way or another. Yeah. And one thing to add, like from an outsider's perspective, um, I think on the second day I spoke to, to a BC friend of mine, I was like, I'm really surprised how many quote unquote serious money people are attending the event. Because to me, it was a lot more than I would have expected. But then again, I had more time to snoop around and look at everybody, you know, probably than Victor had. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I, I never went, actually went to Burning Man, so I can only imagine. But but I what I because we also came in with a project and I think what I really liked it it was very refreshing how you guys you know the angle that you used because uh, Victor when we talked you were really straight to the point and you said well we don't want any talking heads we want to make it fun and engage people to collaborate effectively so so well you shared a little bit but maybe you can tell a bit more on how that process developed or do you feel you said enough about it? Well, I mean, it's part of my own personal bias, I guess, or, or my, my view. I believe we live in a time of bountiful information, of course, within the limits, but anybody who's got a computer and an internet connection can go on YouTube and see the world's greatest thinkers expound their ideas in everything from a 20, 20 minute TED capsule, or maybe even a shorter two or three minutes, somebody made a summary, all the way to a multi-hour lecture or discussion. So I don't think there's value in events with just give information download where all of this, and really the world's greatest thinkers are all on YouTube. It's an in, in, incredible access to wisdom. So what event are you going to organize that you're going to gather best than all of the world's greatest thinkers? However, the huge, and I've experienced this going to all kinds of, from retreats to big conferences, the value is in the conversations that you have and the people that you meet. And oftentimes at big conferences, I mean, okay, you have the conversation around the lunch table. Maybe if you're lucky, there's a workshop or standing in line waiting to get in somewhere, right? So I've always felt that like, this is the most important part. Why is it sandwiched in between things which I get for free on YouTube anyways, right? So let's flip it. Of course, it's useful to have people to have a presentation. I said, you know, make a five, 10, no longer than 20 minute presentation and then have a workshop. Presentations are useful when they set the context and give people feed to have a conversation. 
So that's, that's kind of the idea. I've been sitting on this for like 10 years, frustrated with events all around. Like I'm surrounded by great people. I want to talk to them and have meaningful conversations and connect over their needs for their projects, my needs for my projects. If I want to listen to things, I'll just go on YouTube. Totally. That's great. So maybe switch the energy a little bit in the conversation, guys, because uh, I'm interested in, in, you know, your journeys. So I would love to know a little bit more about uh, what, what did you guys decide to become uh, like a project manager for change or a, a sort of a, a change agent. There is this calling that you're having and you're really focusing on it now. So maybe Carson, you feel like responding first. Sure. These days, I definitely would not call myself a change agent anymore. Like, um, there's something about that that I'll come back to as, as I close the loop. So how this all started for me really was, um, well, A, as Victor knows, I was pretty happy as a kid. And then people kind of thought I was weird because I was so happy. And so, you know, I, I tried to be more like everybody else. And I did that. I, did it pretty well, but it obviously, it didn't make me happy. And um, then the whole self-development thing really started at university. You know, there were people, a lot of people who were smarter than I was, they were doing more cool stuff. So I figured, hey, I have to learn. And so I got into, you know, the, the Tony Robbins and NLP things and whatever. And Towards the end of my studies, I did this wheel of life thing and everything was pretty cool, but on spirituality, there was a zero. So I kind of had that marked in my head. And then first job in London, I, the job was a catastrophe. You know, I think I quit after a week or something, but my landlady um, meditated and she had this picture of a guy in an Indian getup. And I was like, who's that? He looked like a child molester. And she was like, that's my meditation teacher. And I was like, cool, let me try this. So I got into meditation early on, taught meditation, had this whole thing about, yes, let's bring the children home to wisdom, whatever, you know, that, that was my wanting to change the world like that. And um, noticed at one point that something was, was off about that. And at the same time, I still had a career in business uh, as an entrepreneur, did fairly well, and, and also kind of got to the point, well, this isn't it, you know? I was living in Berlin, I had a very nice place, lots of parties, whatever. And I was like, yeah, but so what? Then I took on a startup in addition to my advertising agency and trying to do my PhD. And that didn't work out too well, especially since the financial crisis hit and, you know, finished off the startup. And it, it was kind of the point for me where I started to really look inside like before it was self-development to get a better ego and you know to become so cool and so successful that everybody would just have to love me and um from then on you know i, I started to look at the stuff that actually hurt and little by little by little by little got to that place where life does look really simple you know we all know when we get quiet enough to listen to that place within it within us which knows and from that place it becomes fairly simple to create cool stuff in the world you know we are always told we always know what the next step is 
And so from that place, it is about, yes, it is about creating something beautiful, but not because I want to change the world. And to me, that is really, really important because I've noticed that coming from a place of wanting to fix the world, even, you know, if that is an awesome intention, even though that's a lot better than what's, what's going on in the world, it's, it's always going to have that energy of, well, it's broken, we need to fix it. And I think that's the main reason why, why well, so far the efforts to fix the world have met with limited success. And so did I decide to do any of that? No, I don't think so. I never really had a choice. Not about this stuff. It's just funny how life knows how to move us in the direction where we need to be moved. And we can go willingly or not so willingly. And I tried both. <laughs> and these days I prefer to go willingly. Great. Victor. I would love to hear from you. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly don't see myself as a change maker or, or whatever. I do stuff which makes sense and trying to make a livelihood with it. I like to be creative. I think the, there is a huge need for creating a different kind of habitat. I mean, there's personal stories that have driven me to that. I, drew, I grew up in those communist apartment blocks. And here's an interesting dichotomy because they were really nice in the sense that from an engineering point of view, they were perfectly fitted for human habitation. They were warm. There was hot water. They were, you know, they're all still standing, by the way. So it's good engineering. At the same time, I could feel when I was in my grandfather's house, I just felt better. There was a garden. It was, you know, a normal house in the outside a mid-sized town, nothing spectacular or grandiose and a little bit of a garden and a chicken or two running around. But I remember going back from there to my own house and noticing like, well, I just kind of feel more comfortable there. So I have that kind of a thing. But in terms of what really, I guess, shifted my mind from trying to somehow chase the mainstream path is that well, I kind of tried it. I worked as a software developer out of university, which is a really great career to start with because you start earning fairly well. And I tried to do the mainstream consumers thing of buying more stuff to make myself happy. And I guess I'm lucky I wasn't into cars or yachts, but you know, I bought enough CDs. My house was overflowing. I had clothes that were not fitting into closets that I had I was living in Tokyo at the time, so the closets were small, maybe that helped, but I realized, well, it's not working. There is a really great quote the, from Jim Carrey, which I love. And he says, I wish everybody could become rich and famous so they, they can understand for themselves. It's not the answer to anything. I've never been famous and I've never really been rich, but I've been rich enough and I understand I'm blessed that within the context of what I was hoping to buy, which was CDs, clothes, whatever, I was in my 20s going out, I was way over capacity and still my happiness hadn't increased. If anything, my depression got worse. So yeah, I mean, I think it's similar in that sense with Karsten, kind of tried the mainstream solution for happiness, discovered it didn't work, ended up on a life journey of trying to figure out what does work. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning Jim Carrey. 
that's that's a great quote have you seen uh the truman show the movie he played in that's really you know that's uh there's a lot of stuff in there right what what's happening how do we experience life and uh when i first saw the movie i was sort of like wow these guys they want to make a point but it wasn't really clear but now i got it <laughs> so uh yeah that's cool yeah i i think these days with hollywood being so commercial the people that want to make points have to sneak it in between the entertainment yeah that's that's uh, a great uh, observation you're making victor thanks hey guys i know that you know you're busy with your lives and and developing villages and stuff and i was wondering how you <laughs> how you keep balance in your life carson how do you keep balance i don't <laughs> <laughs> okay like it's in 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 a way the um like the idea of keeping balance of, of balancing work life yada 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 it, it seems um a bit of artificial to me there is one bit that i definitely recommend and it's closely related to villages that's you know moving to nature <laughs> that definitely helps you know because it just makes everything so much easier and there is a different level of, of natural relaxation built in i think the other bit is keeping balance. I really, really, really try to use everything as practice these days. So that means if I've noticed, you know, that I'm beginning to feel pressure or that I'm beginning to talk myself into, into a busy loop in my head, it's, it's becoming aware of that and looking at it and recognizing that it's made of thought, of thinking, and that, you know, I don't really have to do anything about it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to change in a minute. And little by little by little, learning to listen to that silent life bit anymore. You know, the, and actually, I have to get back to what Victor said because it's one of the reasons why I love to work with him, you know, doing what makes sense. So, in terms of balance, doing what makes sense to me is well, if life appeared horrible to me or like any balance from work or whatever then that would probably mean that i'm not doing the right things and um you know well i suppose if it ever does get too much then i just get a good night of sleep and then it tends to be better the next day yeah i think well that's just my personal observation you mentioned like when you can prevent unbalance that's much healthier right so that's what you're Basically, you yeah. I, I would say so, or rather, um, I mean, I'm sorry if I sound repetitive, but that fear versus trust thing, where, where does imbalance really come from? It comes if I make myself do things I really don't want to do or shouldn't do and drive myself way too hard because I'm afraid. And, and that then, you know, gets me into a place where I need to create islands for myself where I don't feel that fear so I can recover. That is a sensible strategy while I haven't looked at that part of myself that is really afraid. But what I would recommend is to look at that fear, become friends with it, and just be done with the whole thing. It's a lot more efficient even if, you know, you just think about things in, in that sense. Yeah, like why, why would we have to spend our time managing our energy if really we are built much better as humans? You know, we're built to naturally know what's appropriate for us and what isn't. Yeah. Thanks for that. Victor, 
How do you juggle yeah, so in life? Actually, I wanted to speak to this because I was like, oh, balance. I don't have any balance in my life. But one thing, since I guess we're primarily our audience is change makers or, or people that would like to be change makers. I think one thing that's really important is that you don't take all of the world's problems onto your shoulders. The, we are surrounded, partially it's because of the accessibility information, partially because of the times that we live in. The list of problems and challenges that the world has from local ones in your neighborhood to global ones of war, peace, climate change, ecosystem, there's just so many things. It's very easy to get stuck in a kind of a trap of just reading bad news and feeling freaked out about it. Whilst I think the only path towards mental balance is to, yes, have some kind of an understanding. Of course, it's not about unplugging, but then picking one problem that you are going to devote your next week or the rest of your life to solving and then focus on that. You know, what I say, what I always feel, you know, people spend so much time on Facebook or wherever talking or complaining or being afraid about the world's problems. Whilst if you want to make the world a better place, pick up a bag, go to your local green area and pick up some garbage. It's that easy, right? And in 15 minutes, you've made the world a better place. Will it change the direction? But who cares? It doesn't matter. You contribute a little bit and somebody will walk down there and they'll feel a little bit better. So I think this is what's overwhelming a huge number, particularly psychologically, of people that want to be change makers and care about the world, is the second you start trying to put even a good proportion of the world's challenges on your, you collapse, right? Really, if you input all of the world's problems right now, the only sane uh, reaction is total mental collapse. And clearly in total mental collapse, you're not going to do anything. So what you need to do is navigate knowing enough that you know kind of where we're at and then kind of unplugging and picking. If it's keeping your beaches clean, if it's building a village, if it's volunteering in a local shelter for homeless, it doesn't matter. Pick something and just do it. And believe that somebody else will pick up the other pieces and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, amazing uh, philosophy there and the wisdom victor that's great and i think uh, uh, you can do all kinds of stuff right we can uh, organize a podcast interview to sort of uh, share with people that there are so many concepts and ideas and uh definitely just i mean doing anything other than just sitting and reading bad news which you know makes you more and more uh, unbalanced yeah 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 for sure and I I, uh, I sympathize uh, with with your uh, ideas. So, I mean, I was a couple of winters. I stayed in Portugal and Spain, and when I was walking some stray dogs on the beach, I always took a plastic bag with me because whatever is there, you know, you just pick it up, and uh, every day you feel a little a little bit better because you just cleaned up a simple beach. Yeah, it doesn't need to take that much. So I want to ask you, did you ever feel some moments of despair in your journey? And, and if you did, which ones? And how did you overcome them? Whoever feels like responding first. 
I mean, I can I can speak to it. I guess Karsten is too happy. He doesn't feel this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, to, be, to be honest, I also, you know, I understand that I live a privileged life. I've never experienced, you know, physical violence or even psycho. I mean, just I'm blessed. Right. So I am trying to live in appreciation of that. Hopefully the older I get, the better I get at it. Certainly for a long time, I felt that on the village building quest, it was not clear to me the path from here to there. It was clear that these kinds of villages made sense, that this would be a path for happy, healthy living for many people, but I didn't see how it was going to happen. And then the pandemic came and suddenly the whole world is remote working and moving and thinking of living closer to nature. So the pandemic saved me from, from that. Yeah, I mean, like, really, if you want to talk about real despair, other than some tough periods of depression or relationship, I, you know, I always realize I'm blessed and there is many people less blessed in the world. And I think that's, in many ways, that's the key challenge. That's the key path. And if you see, it's the core of many spiritual or other traditions is to develop the capability of grasping for gratitude in whatever the darkest moments are you know because if nothing else doesn't matter how awful whatever your reality is you're still alive that's better than the alternative or at least more interesting than the alternative even if not better more interesting and it's a temporary state so yeah i don't know if that helped answering the question yes surely so, Carson, was Victor right? Or are you just too happy? Well, I, I was just shaking, uh, shaking my head because I was like, no, you know, um, I've, I've had it many times that I really, really wanted to push, you know, the escape button and just be done with this life. And um, I suppose looking back on it, it becomes fairly obvious to see what happened. Like uh, the the reason why I decided not to pull the trigger, not to push the button in the end was always the same. It was because, you know, I saw something beyond myself that seemed worth going on for, you know, even if it was just, hey, fuck, you know, the, the, the reason to go on was always because, you know, there was somebody beside little of me, you know, that, that wouldn't have seemed fair to you know, leave the dogs alone, leave um, my wife alone, leave my parents alone, whatever, or even just back when I kind of was, quote unquote, alone as a 20-year-old as who didn't really care about anybody else. Even back then, I was like, hey, you know, you're going to be dead soon anyway, so maybe you can make something useful out of what you're just going through. The flip side of that is, you know, the the... Those moments always came about when I really got into the song of me, 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 me. You know, and it seems to revolve all around this, this little me. And um, yeah, that just has proven to not be a very useful strategy. Again, you know, going back to, so how does life kind of seem to work? Is it's the, the less I'm concerned with myself, the less I'm concerned with happiness, the more easily stuff seems to work out quite well even though it sometimes takes routes where I'm like, yeah, I really would have preferred it to go nicer. <laughs> but then again, hey, you know, it's, it's part of the drama. 
Yeah. So going for the experience of life and uh, let's see where it brings us. Great. Yes, I want to ask you, uh, every, in every episode, we ask one big question. And uh, Victor mentioned a few minutes ago that, yeah, you don't want to take, you know, all the problems of the world on your shoulders because you're bound to collapse anyhow if you do that. But still, I want to ask this big question because I would love to hear your vision on it. And I think it's pretty safe to say that our current consuming and systems are not sustainable at the least and they are quite static i mean i think earth overshoot day comes uh, earlier every year and i think this day it's on july the 29th so we basically that means we need uh it's monitoring how much resources we use up with our consuming system it, it, we need two plants basically to continue uh using up the resources as we are now so how do we, and here comes the question, how do we as a human race provide and distribute abundance globally as well as locally while maintaining an ethic of absolute ecological sustainability and protecting the right of everyone and of every species of the planet and not only to exist, but to thrive. So how do we best organize to make all of the above happen? And how can we live in balance with the earth? I think, you know, once you start looking at root deeper and deeper, going deeper and deeper up the meta level stack, and I think this is also maybe why Karsten and I like working together, we're both very comfortable thinking in systems and going meta. If you look at human society, the core is some set of values that drives a society. And for you know, it's partially, it's cultural, spiritual. There is, you know, that annex of what is at the core of how we do things. And your question is very broad, but I think a key leverage point, you know, there Aristotle, give me a place to stand on and I will move the earth. I think definitely one of the places that we need to stand on is re- thinking, reimagining, redreaming, refeeling our relationship to nature. I am a big fan of uh, Yuval Harari. He's, this has this beautiful, the Sapiens books, this beautiful sweep of the history of the species. And I think the turning point, you know, some people say, oh, like, you know, we went industrial that changed things or, you know, some other point. I really think the fundamental shift in our species existence and our relationship to, to life was the shift from hunter-gatherer to agriculturist. And it's very interesting. I really recommend for, for you and for all of the listeners to read a few books or make some kind of to really read the people that worked and that did manage to come into contact with original hunter-gatherers. And they lived in a time of plenty. And it wasn't that nature always gave. It was that they knew nature well enough that pretty much any kind of conditions, they'll find something to eat, some way of sustenance. It might be less tasty than in a good year, but they're never hungry. They're never thirsty because they were so in sync with the environment. And then when we shifted to agriculture, where we started 
partially working with nature, but also very much a lot trying to squeeze out of it what we could rather than accept what was there. That was, I believe, the fulcrum and shifting point in our species history. It's very interesting. One theory that I, and it's not just mine I've read about, is that the story in the Bible of the expulsion of Eden is an ancient, and we don't appreciate how stories survived in storytelling culture before writing. The stories were capable of surviving hundreds, thousands of years in oral tradition. Uh, so it's quite possible that the story in the Genesis goes back three, 4,000 years, echoing that shift from hunter-gatherer, being in Eden, nature provides, to the toil of the agriculturist. So I really think that in order to do those things that uh, you say, to have abundance, to live, and I believe we need to go past sustainability into regeneration, to live the beautiful future that we know is possible. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but I think one of the key things is reimagining our relationship of nature from this extractive, what can we do? What can we get out of it? to, and our species has grown technologically so powerful, right? That we have enough power, destroy, not destroy nature, but certainly cause massive harm. And it's a maturation process of the species. Well, okay, now we have the technology and the power to do that much destruction. We need to become mature enough as a species in order that we use this technology for good and for the good of nature as well as ourselves. So this relationship of, you know, who gives and what's the relationship for, between us and the nature, which means the biosphere, Gaia, Earth, as a whole, I think is a key turning point, a key fulcrum point for shifting towards this better future. Great, thanks, Victor. Karsten, just before the interview, we talked a little bit, okay, we, we seem to realize that something is wrong when the water comes flooding into our basements. I'm not sure if you want to connect to that part of the conversation now, but, but I would love to oh, hear I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to. I mean, um, fundamentally, I would read that question as one of how do we change behavior, right? How do we uh, change how we act to a more regenerative, more, more balanced way of uh, well, living in the world? And, I don't think the answer is to coerce, coax, manipulate us into behaving better. I believe that happens naturally as we evolve, as we you know, understand life and our relationship with it better. So, you know, for me, living on the beach, I, I never got into ecology, really. I just started to pick up plastic because it made sense. You know, the sense was, hey, if I don't pick that up, that bird over there is probably gonna die. So yeah, of course I'm gonna pick it up because I'm not an asshole, I like birds. And so what I would say would help us is to develop an aspirational vision where we all see what would be possible, what we could live like, what the world could be like and not in a you know pie in the sky utopia way but in a very concrete 
example that shows, hey, this can be made real. It is possible to live that way. Hence, building villages seems like a really good idea. Now to go back to the flood thing, given that you know, we, we all know how humans change, right? Usually we, uh, at least up to a certain point, we only move when we absolutely have to, when uh, the pain becomes so much, when the suffering becomes so much that we leave our safe comfort zone and then try something new and evolve out of that. And the good news about floods like here in Germany is that we won't have to worry about there being plenty of pain, plenty of incentive to change. Like that's coming. So the job that we have, I think, is to balance that out and show, hey, there is a way out of this that is worth it. Yeah. Yeah, what I, what I think I hear you saying is it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Pain will keep coming back and it will, it's like a shock ther therapy or something. Well, I mean, self-fulfilling prophecy, that's, that's a bit about just looking at the world as it is, right? Given um, what we've already set in motion, given of what sort of instability that is going to cause to systems, given that we know that the next pandemic is going to come sooner or later, given that there are all these exponential technologies under development that are going to radically change the way we live. You know, there's going to be so much impetus to, to change. There's going to be like, you know, we, we all fundamentally would like to live this safe little life in our caves and, and not change and ignore the fact that, you know, the, the earth is burning at our feet, but we won't be able to ignore it. So given that that is just the way it is, the good news about that is it's, it's going to make us change. But it's only going to make us change if we see that we can actually get to the other side of this and then have something that was better than before. Because if all we see is, well, the world is burning, then, you know, people are going to say, well, in that case, I'm either going to curl up into a little ball and you know, try to ignore everything, or I'm going to go in full, um, yeah, I was going to curse again. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to go in full, well, I don't care about anything and anybody anymore. I just, you know, go crazy with, with the rest of the life that I have. So, yeah, the, the bit that I'd very much like to see is that we bridge this, that we show, and sorry for making this a bit long, but what I've learned in human development is the bit that really, really helps us to move forward is when we see somebody who, who has become free, who, who does own themselves, who are kind of in, in sync with themselves and nature, and then we see it's possible. You know, and it's not about fancy tools or teachings or techniques or whatever, it's, it's seeing that it's possible. And so as we create villages, if we all create projects in the world that show, hey, it is possible to live in a different way. It is possible to live in harmony with nature and have a good life and, you know, have cool people around and do cool stuff in the world and, 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 and. I hope that will allow us to move forward and scale, scale that approach. Yeah, what comes up for me now is, for me, it feels like that, that we are globally still fighting uh, symptoms. We're trying to resolve problems but we're fighting the symptoms and we're not actually getting to the root causes 
and 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 when like when I see these migrants in all these little boats, you know, they're trying to get ashore, and and uh, from all kinds of places, from Africa and other parts to to Europe, and they and they send these people back, and and uh, lots of people drown. They are drowning, and then, and then I think, how is this possible? How is this even possible? So, yeah, that's that's just my short reflection on it. Maybe we should be able to focus more on the actual root causes. But, and that's an all other discussion. If you want to reflect on it now, that's fine too. Well, I can I can do it in, in fifteen seconds. I'm at the risk of sounding like a broken record, but to me, the root cause is fear. Like if I'm not afraid, you know, for me and my little self, then I don't have to live in a way that screws up the world. On the contrary. Victor? Yeah, I think there is a challenge, right? You know, like if sometimes you need to treat the symptoms, right? You know, if somebody sticks a knife in you, the first thing you do is stop the bleeding before you deal with the problem that actually this person is violent and maybe shouldn't be in your community. Uh, so sometimes treating the symptoms is a valid valid response to the situation at hand. I think one of the, and you know, we're intellectuals, we need to be honest about it. One of the challenges is there's too many bloody humans on this earth. There is a beautiful quote from Jane Goodall where they asked her, you know, like, if you could do one thing and she said, if there could be some gentle, nonviolent way, we could reduce the human population. Of course, it's not the only answer. And I'm fully aware of the historically problematic territory you end up in the second you even open the conversation. But I think it's a subject that should be on the table in some way or another. Again, I don't have any solutions except educate women. I know that cuts the birth rate right down. Everybody's shown that. And that's a pretty nonviolent way of reducing population, <laughs> increasing education for girls and women. Uh, so that's definitely something we should be doing. And yeah, then there is, so there's the connection to nature with I've, which I've managed, uh, with I sh which I've talked about. And I think, you know, the last idea, and because this is to me the fundamental one, is that we have lost the ability really in general in society to have a conversation about what is it that really matters. This used to be the domain of religion. We've, I'm talking, let's say from the European, North American, Japanese context, we've lost our connection and religion is for many people, it's lost its authority it's certainly we've removed it from the state. So, and I'm not advocating for any kind of a going back to old uh, historical religions or even living religions, but we need to regain the ability to have the conversation about what does it really matter? You know, like what difference does it make whether we do good or bad? What's good? What's bad? Why, you know, and there is a, part of this conversation which goes out of the rational there is i'm far from being skilled in having this conversation myself so i'm struggling here i sense that it's important and that's why i'm, I'm happy to raise it here because it's something i would like to learn to have a conversation with people about i don't have that ability 
But I think we need people other than philosophers and theologians having a conversation about what is a good life? Why does it matter whether we go to Mars destroying the earth or go back to being, you know, feudal agriculturalists and just kind of living on the land? Does it make a difference whether our species goes out into the stars eventually or not? How do we have a conversation with this at a societal and eventually a global scale? Yeah, you might say it would make sense to sort of uh, create an assessment on this, right? By several platforms or think tanks. Yes. And I would like to create, live in a society where ordinary people are capable of having a conversation about this take it out of the realm of the profession, professional, whether it's theologian, philosopher, or think tank, if it's somewhere at the side with specialists, that's not it. We need to have this conversation as being the core of society. What is a life well-lived? There is, if probably you're familiar with it, anybody who's listening to this should check out the book called Good Ancestor. Mm -hmm. It's about what does it mean to be a good ancestor, seven generation thinking and all of this. And it's quite possible that if you read the book, you won't get any new ideas, but it's really refreshing to read it. The guy is a very smart writer. He's very good to see the language that he uses to have these conversations and bring in many different stories. Uh, definitely a book I recommend. And this is the conversation we should all be having. Are you being a good ancestor, Robert? Are you being a good ancestor, Karsten? What does it mean to be a good ancestor? I think everybody at some stage in life or maybe at every stage in life should be asking themselves this question. Yeah, it's a great question for also, not only for us, of course, but the younger generation, right? The ones that are going to live here in the coming many, many years, hopefully. So we're about to get to the end of our interview, guys. And... I was wondering if there's any other topic you want to touch on. I think uh, as far as I'm concerned, we've covered a lot. <laughs> I would say, actually, I would say yes. And I heard this somewhere. I, I don't like the word sustainable anymore, but, you know, if it's not fun, it's not sustainable. I think I would, yeah, I really like to bring this in that we really have to approach this with playfulness. That's the only place where creativity comes from. And yes, we are dealing with life and death and incredibly crucial things for whole ecosystems, let alone species. And yet still, if we're overly serious and grinding our teeth throughout the whole process, that's to me not a life well lived. And I don't think we'll come up with the best solutions. Moreover, I don't think it's a path to engaging the mainstream majority. I believe we can, you know, that's for example, I think degrowth is a great idea in terms of the economics and the engineering, but I think as marketing, it sucks. You know, I think it's like, you don't sell people less. I mean, unless it's weight, uh, but even then you don't sell them, you're going to wait less. You, you sell them, you're going to feel better and look better and people will like you, whatever, you'll be more sexy. I think, we really need to make this movement fun, more fun than the alternative. And I think it can be. And I think we need to promise people more, which we can, more joy, more time, 
more self-fulfillment, more time in nature, more wellness, more happiness, you know, more good life well lived. That's the promise. Actually, in this case, yeah, let me zoom in again. Thanks for reminding me, Peter. So um, last week, I was kind of supposed to prepare slides for, for a meeting we had the next day on our accelerator, you know, accelerating startups, bringing this understanding to people in the corporate world. And um, I was getting very serious about that little by little and feeling stressed. And I had a call coming up with our friend and colleague, Stephanie, and a bunch of other founders and entrepreneurs, which she calls the play circle. And so we had a conversation around playfulness and seriousness that day. And, um, you know, it just hit me like, A, as soon as it start taking stuff seriously, the fun goes out of it, the lightness goes out of it, the effectivity goes out of it. And um, that, again, is because then I make it all about me. Whereas if I just play, if I move stuff, if I do it as it occurs to me, then it is about the thing, then it is about what is being created. And so that whole meeting culminated with the beautiful one-liner, Playfulness will save the planet. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I think that's a great way to uh, end the interview and the conversation, guys. Maybe one last question. How can we support your activities or projects in any way? Join Rebuild. We, there's a monthly membership. For EarthSky Lab, you can look at our webpage and sign up to our mailing list. We'll be signing out, sending out things that we need. I think fundamentally though, be happy. Don't let the scary beast suck you in. Do whatever it is that you're doing that you think helps the world be a better place and just believe that that's good enough. I'm just going to say what I always say on the white paper calls with Victor. I have nothing to add to that. Except, you know, like I'm, I, I'm always happy to meet people who are doing work in this world. If, if anything that we said, you know, connects, please just send an email. It's Kirsten at Christiani.com. And um, yeah, let's, uh, let's have fun with creating pathways into, yeah. into an elegant earth. And also concretely, I mean, we are at this stage where we're really preparing projects to get them to be ready for investment. We are looking for investors. I think especially investors that are in the traditional world that would like to take a small step up out into the regenerative world. Those are the investors or impact investors that are interested in real estate, the intersection of impact and real estate or any good people around the money and investment fundraising world that it would be good to talk with. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much guys for being on the show. I think we had a great talk. Thank you for your questions and thank you for listening. Great, well, thank um, you. Thanks for, Robert. Thanks yeah, you, yeah, you're welcome. Th thank you guys. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We talked to Viktor Vorsky, founder of Earth Skylab, Rebuild and Village 3.0. And we talked to Karsten Christiani, founder of Elegant Earth and also Village 3.0.